Must be like the wolf pack, not like six pack. Teamwork. Yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of There's No I in Podcast, a podcast about teams. Uh, it is about being in teams. It is about leading your teams, and it is about making the most out of your teams. Uh, my name is Mark Johnson. I'm a performance maker and a performance teacher. I've done it that way around today. Uh, and I am joined, as always, by the shocked and stunned Sean Gallagher, uh, head of sport and co-curricular at our shared workplace. Hello, Sean. Hi Mark. Yeah, shocked and stunned. You just <laughs> changed up the whole uh, format of our podcast. Um, hopefully, people will still listen, even though you changed your roles this week. Yeah, I got uh, very excited because I've spent this week fully immersing myself in uh, theatre practice and making plans for next year. As we're reaching the end of a term, that I don't know about everyone else listening, but I do find that there is a wind down in terms of we lose some of our classes because we're not teaching the GCSE classes or the year 13 classes because they've effectively done their version of the exam. So there's a little bit more space to to fill. And I like to fill it by, you know, trying to be creative and optimistic about next year. And, and so I've spent a whole bunch of time watching weird theatre makers and try and come up with exercises that will let people explore it. Yeah, you have indeed. I've... Uh been witnessing some of that um yeah no definitely planning stages now which at the end of the year is a difficult thing to kind of get your head sort of around um but you know with planning the earlier you can do it i think the better for everyone <laughs> right so yeah that's the mode that i'm in also what have you been keeping yourself busy with so obviously we host a podcast and sometimes you know i don't want to regurgitate too much from other podcasts that I'm interested in mm. that may touch on the same themes as 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 we do to an extent or but even, it is what we listen to but it is what <laughs> but it is what we listen to and so I took a little bit of a break from that and have jumped back in so um I've been reading a bit less recently so I'm like let me go learn a thing or two from some other podcasts um and the guests and yeah what did you go for so Brené Brown uh, <laughs> the, we we may you may find that series five, uh, Brené Brown is the Simon Sinek of the se- of the season. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Replace all of our references with her rather than him. Exactly. So um, yeah, dare to lead. Um, and she had a guest on there, Priya Parker, who does a bunch of stuff, but kind of like strategist really mm. for companies and kind of consultation. And it was just really interesting because they kind of done like a live session where she calls them gathering makeovers. Uh, Priya's also wrote a book around um, gathering um, and the importance of it and how we do it and how we offer people in um, when we gather. Um, And so a meeting comes under that bracket of gathering. And um, yeah, they were having an issue, like a genuine company real issue around uh, a meeting. Renee Brown was? Yeah, her company, yeah. Um, she has a couple of different outlets, but all comes under, you know, the blanket of, of the one company. And they had these things called campfire meetings that took place in lockdown. And she just sort of really kind of took apart the meeting, you know, the kind of why, the how, the when, and, and really put it on yeah, Brené. What, what, what's said, it for? <laughs> yeah, and just said, you know, what, why, why is it named this? What's the purpose of this? Why was it created? What are you looking for out of it? And for those regular listeners, you'll know meetings for me are uh, quite a sore point. And I'm sure they are for a lot of people out there. If um, there's a personalised hell for everyone, uh, some of the meetings that Sean has been in would be an eternal, an eternal punishment. Exactly. And so, you know, I do think we can get a lot out of meetings and out of, of, of gatherings with people um, at work or in other situations. But I do think yeah. we need to be purposeful. And they need to be effective. And yeah, so Priya sort of really broke that down. And it was just really interesting from Brené's vulnerability point of view to allow listeners yeah. to kind of hear that and for her to not have all the answers. Um, but but that kind of real life example that maybe we don't always get. And, you know, we have our section, uh, you know, that we ask most of our, well, all of our guests around kind of, could you give us some key takeaways? 
And I think that's why you would listen to this sort of podcast to maybe go away and then, you know, put some stuff in yeah. your own your own kind of uh, situation. And I get a lot from that. Yeah, when it, makes, I listen it does to make me think back to some of the stuff that Peter Kowalier was talking about with the with the action learning and the bringing people together to get better at meetings. Exactly. Bit, you know, to practice crisis and to 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 some of those some of those rules that he had for how to interact in those contexts as well again just something that we assume people are going to be good at but that when you're in the room there are people we all know them who aren't good at meetings absolutely and and you know that's not to say that me or you are are great at them but but just understanding the importance of them i think is is a good place to start and and what you're trying to get out of them another thing that was really interesting that she said in terms of gathering is that and meetings is it's almost like an unwritten contract mm-hmm. as to what you're offering the person yeah. for whatever the, the event is yeah. so if that's meeting up on a Saturday to go for a run or if that's a dinner party or if that's a corporate meeting the person setting that event up and putting it out there and offering it out to people the invitation is 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 going to be interpreted or is specific or needs to be specific in order for the person who's being invited to understand the parameters that they're working in within that you know so if you do go to a dinner party which i've not been invited to many but um <laughs> i would assume maybe you bring a bottle. He, he slurps his spaghetti exactly maybe you bring a bottle of something or maybe the person there is vegan and so you know you're not going to be having meat yeah. or, or you, you bring some like conversation ja- jacket and trousers or jacket and trousers or you know so you're kind of you understand that because the person that's put it out has maybe said those things yeah. to you but if they don't then don't assume that the person wouldn't want meat when your house is vegan so because you've not really set those parameters up and it goes back to the meeting yeah. as to what have you allowed the people coming into it to know what it's about so this idea of a campfire like I picture people sitting around maybe separate conversations going on maybe it being quite informal well that was that was the kind of one of the main ones they were using this meeting as a bit of a crisis meeting in a lockdown where important people within the company had to get each other's time Mm. but the word campfire says we've got all the time in the world says we're chilling yeah we're putting marshmallows on the fire like you said very informal and that wasn't it so language which we spoke about in this podcast before like language narrative what are you asking of someone or what is the invite and the title of what you put on that meeting can be really important and almost sets the tone yeah, for what absolutely. you're looking for. It's something that, um, and it doesn't, like language, yes, but also physical language uh, and uh, some of the details around it. So this is one of the things that I think is one of the most valuable kind of uh, soft skills from drama that you can learn or experiment with that you can take into other environments and that is the skill of the invitation like how do I craft an invitation and by invitation I don't mean like you know bit of card that you post for your wedding you know yes that is an invitation and yes it does some very very specific stuff but like how do I set a meeting how do I ask for someone's time how do I in theatre it's like how do I get an audience to experience this under the conditions I want them to? How do I prep their frame of mind to be looking at this in the right way? Is it sit them in the dark and point them at the stage? Is it create an invitation where they can move around? If you think about stand-up is a good example. The invitation that is given for stand-up, if you go and see it in a pub or a comedy club, is that if someone shouted out, it would be fine. There would be banter. But if you go and see a comedy special that's in a theatre that's being you know that's you know you're watching Michael McIntyre at at the Apollo that suddenly stops being an okay thing and that's about the invitation which is environmental in that case not just linguistic that's it's really funny that you've you've touched on those two points so firstly from a drama point of view I've seen what you do with spaces Mm. that I wouldn't have seen whether they're big or whether they're small you may move one prop into a certain area or you may close off one bit of space within the theater and it creates a different opening or entrance into the room so you know if for example 
you invite people to come to a kind of unplugged live lounge kind of set yeah then the invite is informal it's stand around yeah. it's listen it's not and you don't you don't say the words hey everyone stand around you trust that you're creating an atmosphere that can be read like a like an invitation exactly and even how the room is dressed and all those kind mm. of things will allow the person to understand that um and that's not to say you can't be explicit with the language but other things you can do like you said around environment or changing the space can allow the person to understand what it's about um and then secondly really interesting that you mentioned about sort of comedy and stand-up um i was listening to um Mark Maron on Mm. on an episode um, recently and with the whole pandemic situation clubs kind of half opening or not and smaller ones still not being open big ones and again he didn't do anything in the lockdown when some people were doing outdoor uh, drive-in comedy because he said it's not the setting for comedy for me as a stand-up I can't work in there I need low ceilings I need a small space I need that is how I work. It's my natural environment. Because again, the invite yeah, he from cam- the- He needs a campfire. <laughs> he needs a campfire, right? And that's how he produces his best comedy. So just kind of circling back, um, what have I been up to? Listening to some podcasts. Yeah. Um, that one really struck me because I just thought it was a really good tangible example that you can take uh, take away. You know, goes into the meeting element, which I'm always like, let's have a efficient uh, and productive meeting. And I'm sure people listening to this in all different jobs that you guys have probably have to meet and we can all probably do better on those meetings. So maybe bring one or two of these things into your next meeting if you have to set one up. Yeah. Um, also, but yeah, it's a really fun. Also, it's a fun game that you can play uh, when you are setting up these meetings like how do i create like what stuff can i do in setting up this room to craft an invitation like when i when i put nameplates out for people because i know i'm going to have a certain set of people and i create a seating arrangement what does that do to how they enter the space like you can play so much fun stuff treat it like a like a like an escape room like there's a i'll give you an example in teaching uh a lot of times i will create subtle invitation that i am not explicit about i don't i don't point people towards it but i want the students to discover it because the invitation of discovery it makes it their idea it means that they've seen something in it i'll have situations where i'll be doing something while they're entering and it's staged by me to look like i'm just mucking about like i'm just playing around with a thing but the hope is that they'll see that bank it and like go oh we could do that or i'll leave something lying around a a textbook a photo of of a piece in the hope that they discover it because it's a different type of learning and ownership if if they discover it as the invitation rather than going i want you guys to go and read this book you can do that with a meeting yeah i think i'm probably guilty of uh taking all the fun out of an event because for me i'm explicit about the event and what it is and what's expected i wanted to, to ask about that point. actually because you 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 staged an invitation you put on an event uh a couple of weeks ago where there were a couple of different names being used for it so this kind of falls right into that campfire conversation where sometimes it was a prize giving sometimes it was a celebration sometimes it was an awards uh, and i was interested about which one which one did it feel like in the end this it was an event for some students who were matriculating out of our shared workplace and yeah did it feel like a prize giving an awards ceremony ceremony was it was an, another piece of language or a celebration yeah it's interesting um I think to begin with, it was prize giving because it was very much attached to the house system and they were getting the cups, you know, they were being announced the cups as to who who had won. 
So in that sense, it was prize giving. There was also, you know, student of the year and those types of stuff. So that's all very prizey and very awardy. Um, but I think there was also a celebration element. Because there was an informality to some of it. Because there was an informality to it and there was a kind of sending them off, you know, for the summer and things like that. So there was that celebration of a good year, a, a difficult year, but a positive year for those students. So yeah, a bit of all three, really. The invitation um, to get dressed up was there, which was the awards ceremony yeah but see that was something that we made explicit because it's not something they're used to and haven't done very often this year and haven't been able to mainly because lockdown but that was something explicit because that does change it and that's what i mean about again when you're setting up an event there is no point me not saying what a dress code may be in my opinion because then you're going to allow someone to turn up in a tracksuit for an award ceremony please come to my meeting to discuss uh to discuss the budget for next year, uh, black tie optional. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we could talk for ages on this, Mark, but we we've could. got an awesome guest. Today. We have an incredible guest. And like all of those weeks when we've gone, oh, we, uh, we'd, love, we'd love to put a podcast out now, but we're trying to get some time. And this is, uh, guys, some of you make podcasts, most all of you listen to podcasts, but lockdown made booking guests super easy everyone was always at home uh now that the restrictions are easing like people are brilliantly going back to do their exciting work and you know we are trying to get exciting guests uh so it becomes more difficult to get but we got him uh, and today we are going to be talking with chief people officer of the phenomenal exercise app fit that's fit with two eyes uh ben wharf uh, Ben gave us uh, a really generous chunk of his time because it is a hugely busy uh, period for the company uh, and spoke to us about a whole bunch of stuff, but mainly about being the person who's responsible for building a team that works and growing a team that works for a company that's in a period of massive growth. So I'll let him speak for himself and we'll jump straight over to him. This is our conversation with Ben Wharf. Team. Yes. So we are hugely, hugely privileged to have joining us on the podcast today, uh, Ben Wharf. Excitingly, Ben is the Chief People Officer at an organisation that you have potentially heard of and potentially participated in called FIT. Uh, They are an exercise company. Hello, Ben. Thank you so much for coming on. Hello, and thanks for having me. Hey, Ben. Uh, ben, I gave the worst possible advert for you and your company. Uh, so perhaps you want to give us a little bit more detail and also a little bit about your journey, kind of how you've got to where you are right now at FIT. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, kind of what, what we do is we essentially do um, yeah, digital, digital boutique fitness classes. Um, for the best experience, you kind of connect your phone onto a, a big screen in your front room and you've got access to uh, over 700 classes, more than 30 of the best trainers in the UK. And it's kind of like the boutique gym in your front room. Um, but the real secret source or what's really different to say just kind of a, a really well put together fitness DVD is it's the ability to connect into the classes. So you wear a wearable device and you can see all of your statistics and your metrics live on screen in front of you. So you'll collect points for how high you get your heart rate. You can uh, track your repetitions. Um, but what's really kind of nice about it is it's not an individual thing. We think fitness has a great power to bring people together and build communities. So you can compete against each other on live leaderboards. Um, you can create private group classes and work out with, with your friends or um, yeah, your colleagues at, at work. Um, so we, we think that fitness should be the thing that you kind of really enjoy and you have these great kind of sparks of energy for your, your day, but also the ability to bring people and, and communities together. Absolutely. And I know that Sean is the head of sport at our shared workplace. Actually introduced us to, to the app as a, as, a, as a group trial during the pandemic. So is fitness an area that you've always been in or did you start, did you start somewhere else? Yeah, so, so my, my background is definitely kind of not in, in the fitness industry. Um, although I am very passionate about it, I'm a keen ultra marathon runner and I've done um, an Ironman before and I grew up playing team sports. So I've always been very passionate about fitness. 
But my background uh, actually is I started out as a business consultant and actually not in the people space at all. So I started uh, life at university at, at Accenture and cut my teeth there doing kind of large scale technology implementations or business transformation uh, projects and programs. And after kind of a number of years doing, doing that, I joined um, EDF Energy, um, the big electricity company. And on kind of day, day one, they said, you're going to work on this big HR transformation. I thought, well, that, that's not really for me. I don't want to get involved in this kind of fluffy people stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, seven years later, I was running all of their kind of corporate HR projects and programs and strategy. And it was um, really, really interesting. And very quickly, I came to realize that the single biggest factor which impacts the success of um, projects, programs, organizations is, is people. It's the single biggest um, needle you've got to move in determining your, your, your success or your failure. You can design the best processes, the best systems, um, all the best plans, but the variable which will make it succeed or fail is, is the people element of it. Um, and I got kind of really obsessed with, um, well, I, I got into kind of lots of speaking across Europe and a bit in the States about the future of work and um, digital transformation and how all these kind of small upstarts were going to disrupt all the big players um, and this kind of new future of work was super exciting. And I went back into work the next day and I worked for a big organization and nothing was very innovative, nothing was very exciting and everything moved very slowly. So I felt a bit disingenuous going in and speaking to kind of all these um, heads of HR about kind of this exciting new world and the reality that I was living wasn't uh, very much like that. So I very much decided that I wanted to be part of one of those companies that was making the disruption rather than one of the, the big dinosaurs waiting to be disrupted. So I got very kind of passionate about um, yeah, going and, and, and working as a startup and be able to shape these things and design things from a blank sheet of paper. So that's exactly what I did. So after kind of, I guess, yeah, more than 10 years working in the, the big bad world of corporate, I jumped ship and uh, moved into, um, yeah, kind of the, the startup world. And I think really working at Fiat marries my uh, two of my, or probably three of my biggest passions. So it marries together everything I do in the people space that I truly believe is the single biggest impact on any organization, but as well bringing together a digital transformation and the uh, startup element as well, um, all into one. So at what point did you join Fit, which is where you've, land where you've landed now? In terms of their development, they've been around for a few years now. Um, at what point did you jump on board? Was it right at the beginning or was there some stuff in place when you, when you landed with them? Pretty much right at the beginning. So FIT was founded in April 2017. We launched in April 2018 and I joined in January 2018. So uh, right at the beginning of January, so about four months prior to launch. So when I joined, um, yeah, we didn't even have a product that was fully working we hadn't worked out how we we're going to ship devices out to, to people if you bought our wearable device. We had a temporary studio set up. Um, so, yeah, it was bizarre. I went from kind of a, leading a big £25 million program to being in this kind of organization that was 10 people and stuffing envelopes full late at night to send out to, to customers. So kind of really rolling your sleeves up and, and getting your hands dirty. And it was a really exciting time of the company. Yeah. I was going to say, people brag about their Google number, don't they? About the employee number at Google. Oh, I was here as employee number 20 or whatever. You were there right in those, right in those all hands on deck uh, stage. A absolutely. Absolutely. And not even really knowing fully what the product was going to look like and everything. Right. We, um, Ben, we had a, a guest on uh, a couple of episodes ago, ago called uh, Matt Wood, who uh, runs a company called Run Through doing lots of uh, kind of running events uh, all up and down the UK. And it just, that just resonated with me. That just reminded me, Mark, of him sitting there saying him and his mate who set up the company, you know, sitting there licking the envelopes. So yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. I think because I think a lot of people think, how can we go about making a business, whether it be small or whether we want it to be scaled up into to a huge thing, but really and truly it does start really on that ground floor, doesn't it? And just, it is all, all kind of hands on deck, but how did you, deal with that kind of lack of structure in the beginning, Ben, if, if, if that's what it was, because, you know, you've been kind of really experienced in big, you know, corporate businesses with lots of structure and 
I guess people really knowing their roles and their place within the company. How was that shift from going to such a small amount of kind of team members and kind of, we're not even sure if this product's going to work? Um, I, I think kind of, I, I would summarize it in two words. It was um, difficult and exciting at the same time. So yeah, I remember kind of coming in first week and trying to work out how we're going to send all these devices out to our customers and creating process flows and things like that, that kind of out my consulting toolkit. And the um, chief product officer and uh, CTO at the time who were kind of startup people died in the wall through and through were looking at me as if I had two heads saying, what are you doing pulling together this process flow? What is this? Don't, you don't need to do that. Just get on and do it. So yeah, I definitely took quite a big adjustment period um, to get used to the startup um, pace and the, the, the hacky nature of doing things kind of early on. But at the same time, it was kind of very liberating not having to go through big sign-off meetings, not having to um, yeah, kind of go through all these decision boards, just being told just to go and make stuff happen. Um, and, and that was uh, yeah, kind of very exciting, but also implementing very quickly um, the ideas that you came up with. Yeah, there is this idea of agility that is quite tied tightly to the, uh, to the, to the online startup uh, culture uh, that, is, that is, I can imagine, quite a, uh, quite a shock to the system for someone who's used to organizations that steer as agilely as the Titanic when it comes to the big, to the big corporate uh, setup. Um, there's something that um, is quite startup-y and that I remember uh, Netflix had quite a seminal culture deck where they... Um, where they kind of laid out what it means to be uh, an employee and what the goals are. And I know that Fit have, a, have, have their own kind of document about what their kind of employee and company values are and also kind of what it, what it means to be a member of the team. Is that something that you came up with? Um, yeah, very much. So. I mean, it was something that, that I came up with and something I was very passionate about. But like all uh, great things that a company delivers, um, although there might be a spark, an idea somewhere, um, actually, the majority of the credit to the delivery has to go to the, the team. So I've got a, a really great HR manager who drove it, the branding team. Anyone that's seen it, uh, you can see he's done an exceptional job. It's kind of very visual. It brings everything to, to, to life really well. So I think that's your job as a leader is kind of um, setting a direction and then giving freedom for people to go and, and deliver. And um, if anyone hasn't seen it, I encourage you to, because uh, it's something that we're really, really proud of. Uh, and we'll put a link in the show notes to that so that, because you can access it and view it online. So we'll make sure that that can be, uh, that, you can, that you can jump straight to that. One of the things that stuck out or that leapt out of it for me was very, very explicitly, you say team is greater than individual in that document and of course that's the that's that's my belief and and sean's belief but where did um where did that as a as a as a statement that you needed to make come from do you think that's come from founders or part of that journey of learning what the organization is um from both um, essentially, we've got uh, four values that we, we live and die by. And that is kind of, um, yeah, one of the four values. Um, <clears throat> to pull together our, our values, we did a, a really great, really collaborative piece of work where, um, yeah, we were supported by someone externally to help to um, yeah, guide us through the conversation. Because uh, we didn't want anyone coloring the conversation um, too heavily. We wanted everyone to have an equal say. But essentially, every single person in the organization at the time was part of that piece of work. And what we did is we went through a series of exercises that brought to life what was unique about fit, what made fit special, what made it different as an organization, but what were the things that were important to, to us and the people that worked here, here valued. Um, and then we distilled all that down and worked out, okay, how are we going to make that how we're going to brand it, how we're going to make it feel like a fit set of values and not make it feel like um, just another company set of values. Because all the content was there and it all made sense. And we have the things that were important to us. But there's lots of kind of tech companies you could have uh, yeah. overlaid that onto, lots of good tech companies. Yeah. Um, and we decided the tie-in had to be uh, linking it to um, yeah, sports teams that we really admired and using storytelling to help to bring that to life. So, yeah, the good example for, for that one, the team greater than individual. Um, yeah, we used the South African rugby team in 1995 that obviously 
of the backdrop of coming out of apartheid, um, managed to unite the uh, African nation and go on to, to win the Rugby World Cup. And we've got kind of similar examples for each of our, our four values. Yeah, I was going to say, Ben, because, uh, you know, I've lo- looked through the document uh, a couple of times. I was really impressed by it. Um, and uh, I have a question on that. But I think just for our audience who uh, they can go and check it out. But just just for their benefit, um, the values state uh, be a leader which is the US uh, women's uh, national football team. It's always improving. Uh, Mercedes uh, F1 team. Grit to deliver. Grit to deliver. The British road team. Uh, And as you said, uh, the South African team, uh, rugby team, uh, World Cup winning uh, team over uh, individuals. So yeah, I do think they were really visual. um, And I think if someone is going into that company, they can get a real feel. Uh, for what you guys are looking for. I did have a question on that though. Do you think you need to be in the company a few years to figure out what you want your culture to be? Or should that be one of the first documents that goes out straight away, if that makes sense? It should be, I mean, see, the the culture isn't in the document really, Um, but it should be one of the first things you do very early on because culture will happen whether you design it or not. And if you don't design it and architect it properly, you're leaving everything to chance. And okay, it might pan out well, um, but, but it might not. Also, when you set this train out of the station, where, when, when it starts to build and develop and grow, um, it's very difficult to turn it around. It can be done, it's not impossible, but it takes a lot of heavy lifting. And sometimes the heavy lifting is, can be quite painful to do. Like you might actually need to, um, yeah, replace some of the people. You might actually need to think about your organization structure in a different way. All things that are really difficult to do once you've got those things quite quite fixed down. So it's much better to design it up front and create a place where you're really proud of working, where you're really proud to tell other people that you work in is going to create this culture which aligns your business objectives and can deliver against your, your business objectives that is a place you enjoy coming into every day. Mm. I think in those early days of an organization, it does have to be aspirational, doesn't it? The, the, the idea of the company we want or the place we want to work and the people we want to work with, uh, taking in that input, identifying what is great about what we've got and then setting it out there. So because I believe you use this as, as a guide within your recruitment process, it struck me that this is something that not only says this is what it's like to work here for the people who work here, but this is what it's like to work here for anyone who might want to join the team. Yeah, absolutely. The intent of this culture book was that it's a document for everybody, actually. It is something that you can engage with if you're an employee. It should be something where, um, yeah, if you've got the the metaphorical kind of book, book on your, your table, the, the, the page that are turned up, it's got coffee stains on it. It's something you go back to time and time again. Um, but as well, it's something for our yeah, prospective candidates. So yeah, people who are looking at it, working out if this is a company you want to work for. But also it's something for our partners. It's something for our customers. It's people to get a snapshot, a window into, um, yeah, get under the hood of fit, what it is to uh, be a part of fit. Um, and we intentionally designed lots of it that actually you could read it as a customer and it would, there's large parts of it that would actually apply to, to, to you being part of the fit community as well as being uh, an employee at fit. I think I liked uh, the fact that it says volume one, Ben, which to me is an assumption that we're always looking to grow, improve, and there'll be, you know, a volume two and a volume three if, if uh, things need to change. Was that kind of the thinking behind it or have I just made that up in my in my head (laughs) absolutely there's going to be a yearly release of this um it's something that's going to grow and evolve um this is something that um yeah we we do have great pride in it but uh this is just the start of where we want to take it to Uh, we had all these kind of grand ideas we're thinking microsites things you can click through you see the design of it actually aligns to a fit class with like the the timer down the bottom we think about how you can click through and engage with it we also think about kind of ways in the future how you can gamify it like we have quarterly awards it'd be good if you've almost got like kind of achievements board and you can put kind of great achievements um, in there it might be achievements as well within the company like people who run a marathon or people that get a certain qualification or a certain part of development so this version in our mind 
it, it gets lots of attention. People speak to me about the culture book a lot. Uh, but in our mind, it's something which um, yeah, is, is quite basic so far. But also it should reflect the team. So the team change kind of year in, year out. You'll notice there's a page in there of every single team member. Um, and it should be something where if you've been here for, since the beginning or since the early days, you should have pride. You should have on your bookshelf, volume one, volume two, volume three, volume four. Um, and it's something that you're kind of your pride of place where you receive it if you uh, work there that year. Did you, did you take any inspiration? I'm just trying to make links here now. Maybe, maybe it doesn't exist, but the uh, Clive Woodward kind of England rugby they had a document, kind of binded document that, um, you know, wasn't really budgeted for. And he said, we, we have to have this leather bound. We have to spend lots of money. This document is going to be everything for a new member of the England rugby team walking on in their first day. There's a lot we won't have to go through because once they've read this, they'll understand what the environment and what the culture is. And then it's kind of up to them whether they're going to align with that or not. I mean, yeah, we didn't take uh, inspiration uh, specifically from Clive Woodward, but I, I have, um, yeah, I have heard that story before. Um, but we took inspiration from lots of places. So when we were kind of starting to do the research for this, obviously the, the Netflix one is, uh, is really famous. I think there's a charm in the fact that it's quite basic, kind of black and white, kind of slide pack. Um, we actually thought that that doesn't, that type of format doesn't really capture kind of who we are. But absolutely, this should be something up front where people almost can read and understand the psychological contract of joining fit. They should look at, people should look at that and think, actually, if these values don't align with my values, this isn't, isn't a fit for me. We do test people really hard through the recruitment process of um, yeah, whether they align with, with those values or, or, or not. And so yeah, all those things, um, I completely agree with that, that we should save a lot of time, effort as you're going through, um, yeah, kind of the, the process by having that document. But I think kind of as you go through kind of recruitment or finding people, hey, it's like a dating process. It's no, no longer, the days are gone where companies are there just picking who they want to work for them. And there's a lot of power in candidates' hands and it should be them working out whether it's the right company for them as much as you working out whether the candidate's right, right for you. And I do get that, um that sense out of out of the document and out of talking to you that there is especially with a startup there's a there's such a broad range of uh, skills and roles required and you're going to get candidates that that have those skills and roles what you're looking for or what they're looking for is why apply those skills here like rather than somewhere else and for that it's about what's it like at this place what what's important to us what's what are we talking about every day what are our shared uh interests uh you know what's it going to be like to sit down at lunch with the people here and have to talk about what we do every day can i do that in a way that's exciting to me rather than in a way that you know my excel spreadsheet skills are the best in the world but i'm not so interested in in fitness well, yeah, and no, I think we're incredibly lucky that we work in, uh, yeah, kind of a, a very sexy space. So, yeah, fitness industry, we're actually, um, yeah, we're, we're improving people's lives. Our uh, mission is to make exercise a habit for everybody. We want to eradicate all illness related to inactivity. And there's still the stats that one in six people in the UK die as a result of inactivity. So long before there was the COVID pandemic, there was the inactivity pandemic, and it will exist long after and kill many more people than COVID ever will. So yeah, if people can't get excited about that, um, then yeah, this isn't the, the type of place for you. We don't want people to just come in and enjoy what they do. We want people to be really, truly passionate about what they do. And passionate might be different for different people. Um, yeah, sure, we've got a whole bunch of fitness nuts that are really passionate about that who work in the company. But you've also got some engineers who clearly have an interest and there's some, somewhere on their uh, fitness journey, but it might be their passion is solving big, thorny tech challenges, things that have never been done before. Um, yeah, or you might have um, someone who works in marketing or branding and their passion is creating a brand that is the yeah, kind of most recognized, most referred about brand or most talked about brand um, out there. So different people might have different passions um, and not everyone has to be you know, fitness and exercise is my number one passion, but they have to be passionate about something and they have to be able to connect that passion into the company's objective of um, yeah, making exercise a habit for everybody. So, so Ben, the yeah. real question is, 
do all potential recruit uh, uh, recruiters have to take a have to take a fit a fit workout and do, do they have to land test. somewhere on that leaderboard within the top three to move on to the next round of uh, interviews? Well, absolutely not. Um, in fact, we don't want to create a company where everyone is, um, yeah, kind of a mad obsessive crossfitter or something like that. Because where be the diversity of thinking? Where would be, be the, the thought around understanding kind of how your your beginners start using fit as well? So, no, absolutely, we don't require everyone to be um, kind of yeah, really, really into their fitness. But I think it is it, well, two things really important. The first thing is that people have some interest in the space. So, so they are somewhere on the fitness journey. We don't care if you spent all of lockdown, sat on the couch, maybe put on a few pounds around the middle, and you're just starting on your fitness journey. That's absolutely fine. Um, but I think people need to understand or be on their fitness journey somewhere. But as well, it is really, really important that people use the app. The number of people you have in an interview and you ask them if they've used the app and they say no, that, that's a, a big, big red flag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah have you heard of our company no <laughs> I just i just was stumbling past i'm just imagining covering letters that have got fit with only one you eye get a lot of bad puns in an interview as well <laughs> oh no oh, i want to be a fly on the wall just with your trainers um who are obviously a huge part of, of the company um are they are they full-time for you and is that the uh, are, are you the only people they work for or I can imagine them maybe being freelance and wanting to grow their brand themselves uh, how, how does that kind of work yeah we've got a combination so we have a really great in-house trainer team so we've got five in-house trainers that are yeah employees are fit on PAYE um, four of them are full-time the other one is uh, part-time but they are fit employees um, they do a, a couple of other bits around, around the side, but um, yeah, they are full-time fit employees. And then we have a whole roster of trainers that come in and film anywhere between kind of you know, one day a month or a, a day every other month. And I think that mix is really important because what that allows us to do is it allows us to be able to bring in a whole load of variety but also get some different styles into the mix. Um, you bring in, um, yeah, slightly different um, ways of thinking and teaching from all the different studios. And you look at the trainer roster, I think you'd be hard pushed to find a, a better trainer roster anywhere else. We've got like master trainers from Nike and Andas and Under Armour. You've got representation from trainers from like One Rebel, Equinox, um, yeah, Wit. So you've got kind of lots of the, the top, top boutique gyms across London and soon to be US as well because we film where US trainers are represented. And I think that brings a very kind of realness, a very unique flavor, but also the variety um, that, that people need. I guess I guess personality though must be huge because from from the sessions that I've done in the past um, and through the social media and the marketing, you know, all of these trainers have something about them, um, and I guess you probably get some really some 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 girls and guys in amazing shape that come in and you know look incredible themselves, but maybe don't quite have that spark of energy that you kind of spoke of spoke about earlier, or don't quite have that secret source that kind of translates across camera where they actually have a personality and feel like a human being because with all due respect sometimes in the fitness industry you know I, I stay relatively active I've been to a number of gyms I know a number of personal trainers sometimes they're very focused on themselves <laughs> Mark's like I don't, they're very focused on themselves and not very focused on maybe I don't I don't at know, all outwardly yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm being a bit harsh. No, no, no. I, I think you're spot on. I mean, it's quite um, a unique space to work in for a trainer. You see it when people come in for the first time, they're quite often not used to being in front of the camera because they're used to teaching a class in front of um, a whole bunch of people, get that instant feedback from people. And yeah, you need to have that X factor of being in front of the camera. Being that kind of performer is just as important as being kind of in great shape or being a, a really, really great trainer. And I think the variety and the uniqueness and the personality of all the trainers does set us apart a little bit. I mean, um, yeah, I'm not going to say a bad word against Peloton. Peloton are great. I really love kind of their spin class and what they do, but it's a slightly different approach. Like their, class, their trainers all feel very similar and they're clearly trained the same way where I think our trainers 
Um, yeah, they, they all bring their uniqueness in maybe a, a little bit more. I don't think there's necessarily a right or wrong way to do it, but it's part of our personality as a brand that everyone kind of brings their, their different styles, their different mix, their different vibe to, um, to, the, to, to the table. And I think that's really important because if our mission is to make exercise a habit for everybody, every single customer is going to have different things that they connect with. Um, and therefore, we've got to be representative of that as a, a trainer roster as well. This is where I feel like you need the kind of just past the 30s, slight dad bod situation, Ben. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Just past 30s, <laughs> slight dad bod, medium you know, exercise rate. That's, I think that's a key kind of target for, for maybe 2022. Well, Sean, if you want to get a camera, we're happy to have you down and see what you've got. <laughs> perfect it's good it's good it's good for for my ego if my trainer is slightly puffed out so i i can recommend sean as a as a personal trainer <laughs> i do i do love this idea that 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 i hadn't really considered and it's it's kind of amazing how seamless and how visible it, it appears that you guys are effectively a production entity as well like you have teams making content that that is a that is a whole deal and requires a whole different set of skills and knowledge from the making an app work without breaking because you don't get many opportunities to to being consistent when you're working with customers and apps it needs to work all the time every time uh, and then at the same time you've also got to make really really great looking training videos as the chief people officer, and I wanted to ask a little bit about that title itself anyway, um, as the chief people officer, did you, or does it take, does it take a different set of, of management skills and recruitment skills to, to cover all the bases that a company like Fit has to cover? Um, well, in, in a simple answer, yes. I mean, we are, yeah, we're not a traditional tech startup and then we're a number of different companies kind of wrapped into one. So sure, we've got kind of, yeah, all of our engineers and our product team uh, as you'd normally find in a tech startup. But you're right, we've got our own TV studio. We do all of our own content in-house. So we're a production company. We also send out hardware so people can buy a rep tracking device that kind of goes around your, um, goes around your chest. And we send out exercise mats. We sent out over 30,000 products last year. So yeah, we're an e-commerce business in, in our own right as well. Um, and then obviously we've got all the marketing functions and everything like that. So yeah, every single part of that business, um, they are different skills, different types of people. Um, and yeah, you need to recruit in a different way through different channels and with a different mindset. But I think the common thread through all of it is, and it goes back to the culture book, is our values. So although you might have people from different backgrounds, different ways of working, different thought processes, um, making sure we've got people who are aligned from a cultural and a values perspective is really, really important. It's also really interesting. We've been doing a lot of work in the last 12 months specifically around diversity, inclusion, anti-racism. And you actually find um, challenges and nuances for those different areas. Um, I'm sure anyone that works in um, tech in London um, knows how challenging it is hiring a, a really diverse um, engineering team. There's, uh, the industry is really skewed to being uh, kind of white male. And you've got to work really hard to add diversity into that mix. You roll the clock back kind of 18 months. We weren't doing a very good job. Um, we had our senior leadership team, predominantly white male. Um, we had um, yeah, kind of a, a very kind of white male engineering team. We've been working really hard, not just to recruit diversity, uh, more diverse workforce, by broadening our pipelines out um, into those areas, but also the education that we've gone through as an organization, the initiatives, the partnerships with the local community in Hackney uh, that we've been running as well. Of course, because based out of the Olympic Park, you guys are slap bang in the middle of one of the most diverse communities within London. Um, and it is, and I guess it is about, about uh, accessibility to the, to the recruitment opportunity as much as it is um, recognizing that the the areas that you're working in have been predominantly kind of filled with uh quite a homogenous group in terms of this and and as the chief people officer i guess it's 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 your responsibility to trickle down that culture to the various leaders of the teams that are separate um under that title chief people officer 
does the user community fall under your kind of your remit and how you manage, build, maintain and serve the kind of the users and how they interact with each other? Does that fall under kind of your your tree? No, no, that doesn't. Um, however, being a, a startup, we're still, I mean, we've grown a lot in the last um, year, but we're still only 80 people. Um, we work kind of very, very closely together um, across all of, the, all of the groups and making sure that we have really tight alignment between what we do internally and what we do externally, um, what we do in marketing, how we grow our customer base um, is yeah, kind of really, really important. Because I think with all these things, if you're employer brand, your employee brand and your um, company brand um, and aren't aligned, then it feels awkward. You can spot the companies a mile off where you've got that misalignment and they're saying something externally um, and trying to sell something to a group of customers which isn't authentic. So I think the key word um, or, or the key mindset is making sure that there's collaboration, there's communication within the organization, that you're fully aligned and that everything is very authentic. Um, so, Ben, uh, it's been really, really interesting to talk to you. Um, I think we've we've covered a lot um, in a short space of time, but um, could you maybe give our listeners kind of some key takeaways in your role um, as Chief People Officer working at FIT, um, what they can kind of take away uh, into whatever their, their organization, their team, their business uh, may be? Yeah, so there's a few things. If I kind of focus on, on three areas, I think. So the first thing is um, the, the mindset and the mantra that I always like to have it fit. And I think that this can be done throughout the whole HR industry is to try and always think about designing HR from a blank sheet of paper. I think we've got a lot of legacy in processes, in structures, um, in HR, and we always try and kind of iterate and evolve from there. But the problem is lots of those processes and ways of working are designed for business models that are really out of date. And I think the big, clunky command and control business structures don't work anymore. And the HR processes designed to support those don't work anymore. So always um, design from a starting point of if I was going to do this from scratch, how would I do it? And be brave. You can actually do a lot more um, and change a lot more um, than, than you realize. My second kind of area is um, I've benefited hugely in uh, my kind of journey in, in HR and people operations from not being a dyed-in-the-wall career HR person. Um, I started off in a other part of the business, and I actually think that you can't be a really exceptional HR person or people operations person um, without having worked in the business and really being able to understand how what you're doing impacts all those areas of the business. Um, so go out, get more experience um, and really understand what really makes a business tick. And I think that's also true for any uh, professional, actually. I don't actually understand how finance people can make um, really great decisions without understanding how it impacts people, for instance. So actually, I don't think that comment is just related to um, the HR and the people profession. And the last one is, um, listen, like, actually, I think the most important thing, um, being a chief people officer, is um, that I don't actually need to come up with all the ideas. In fact, I don't actually need to come up with any ideas. I just need to ask the right questions and let the people in the organization um, give all the ideas. I'm sure there's a job to do to shuffle through what's practical, what we can afford to do, um, what will move the needle the most. But actually, I do my best job when I don't come up with any ideas myself but I ask the right questions and let the organization come up with the ideas. So we have a, a question that we ask, ask all of our guests. Uh, we believe that coaches make coaches, that w the way we lead or the way that we run a team or the way that we participate in a team is kind of learned from the coaches that have impacted us, sometimes brilliantly, sometimes because they've been absolutely not what the team has needed. Uh, so who would you say, uh, is there anyone that has been a major influence on how you uh, form, lead, participate in teams that has taught you how to, to be a team leader or a coach? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I've been very, very fortunate to work for lots of really great organizations with lots of kind of really inspiring and incredible um, leads and managers. And I, I've learned from kind of every single one um, along the way. But I think actually where I've done most of my learning um, is I kind of flip on its head a little bit. And I always think that I hire really incredible people. 
in fact, I always make a point of people that are hiring the report into me, um, they've got to be able to do something better than I can do it. Um, and I think if you hire people like that, you give them the freedom to go and um, test and experiment things and, and try things out and give you the authority to, to challenge me um, and test my perspectives and give me a different view on things, um, then actually I learn um, a whole lot more from the people that, that work for me. And I think that kind of idea of reverse mentoring or reverse coaching is um, really empowering for the team, but it's not a one-way relationship. It's not that um, as a leader, you pass things downwards. Um, an equal amount comes back the other way. And um, just by hiring those people that are, are smart, passionate, always want to, to learn, um, are brave enough to challenge me and test my perspectives, um, almost kind of work in partnership with the people that work for you rather than that kind of um, yeah, line manager type relationship means you get a huge amount of value, not just from what they deliver, but for what you learn from the people that work for you. Amazing. Uh, I think that just just highlighting that that it's not about deferring uh, for other people who could do stuff better, but like how do we grow each other kind of breaks down this idea of, uh, of for me, of a hierarchy where it's it's kind of one directional i can only i can only go boss to employee to employee to employee to employee lovely the last thing that we ask is is there anything that you want to point people towards it can be it can be fit related it can be something else we'll definitely put all the links to how you can get involved in fit into the show notes but anything you want to put put the listeners onto well, definitely check out our culture book. I think it's a really great insight and, and snapshot in, into FIT and what we do. Feel free to try out FIT. You can get a free trial for 14 days so you can actually get in, try some of the classes out, see, see, see what you enjoy. Um, and yeah, feel free to um, look me up, connect and LinkedIn, Ben Wolf MBA, and uh, always happy to have a chat, explore ideas and hear about what's happening in other people's organizations. Lovely, we'll connect. Uh, we love, we love uh, connecting on LinkedIn so we can uh, put, your, put your profile in the show notes as well. And uh, if, you, if you do sign up for a free trial, make sure that you take Sean's, I'm going to call it the dad bod training session. <laughs> It's, it's the number two uh, most attended <laughs> class on fit at the moment. So, yeah, we're, we're, oh, we, all, we're pushing. Uh, that's, that's, that's all lies. Ben, thank you so much for coming on. This has been an incredibly uh, rewarding chat and there's some fascinating stuff in there and I hope uh, it's, been, it's been beneficial for you as well. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Ben. That was really insightful, uh, really interesting. I think the company's fantastic. Uh, wish it all the success. Um, and yeah, hopefully, hopefully speak soon. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, we, we really wanted to get Ben on uh, for a while. We are actually, as you'll know from, from the episode, sort of, uh, we are fans of the app. Yeah. Um, we, we were lucky enough to have a, a couple of free trials and things like that over the lockdown period. And some of our colleagues have actually sort of cracked on uh, and continued with that, uh, you know, for the last couple of months and got got huge benefits out of it. I think the company- I, I believe in the, in the fitness world, we're gonna call them gains massive gains indeed gains yeah <laughs> indeed gains um but you yeah, know people have really benefited from it they're really cool uh sort of you know state-of-the-art really edgy kind of cool company and um to have someone in the position that ben is in within that company yeah. talking to us and giving us a little insight uh like that I tech startup great. vibe you know he was in on the ground floor and is now like witnessing, you know, and responsible for this boom. Super, super fun time to be talking to Ben. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, I think the company is only going to grow. And I think that, you know, fitness-based apps uh, are going to continue to grow, especially fitness and tech. Mm -hmm. So I think we've got Ben at, at, at like you said, uh, a really great time. Um, Something that came out of that for me that I found super interesting was just how kind of focused and clear those guys have to be about culture when they are, particularly when they're picking up these um, trainers that they're going to be filming. Like there are a lot of personal trainers out there who do great work, like 
who are really great motivators, who are really great uh, kind of uh, building programs for people. These guys are the brand. As much as they're the exercise, they're also the physical representation of the culture of like this business. And so that that job and how they've selected those because they have they're not the most obvious and and when he was talking about um, you know the american training you know we we joked that there were you know that everyone is suddenly going to look the same you know all of their trainers are going to you did look yeah. california <laughs> um and i think he challenged that because like if you look at the trainers you know they are uh, a diverse bunch they are you know, diverse in their in their kind of training methods as well. Well, in their offering as well. In their you know? offering, and and I think that you know that's where they've done really well. I think they've done a couple of key things differently to other other places. So, like Ben spoke about, I think their secret sauce is the live classes and yeah. the leaderboard. Um, they have their tracker, mm-hmm. which you can purchase, and you know that gives you that instant feedback, and people really do want that instant feedback, which. You could do a session by yourself, isn't it? Yeah, you could do a session by yourself, and you know maybe feel good about yourself, but maybe don't have those tangible uh, gains, as we said, or you know (laughs) tangible numbers that make you feel like you've done a great job. And we spoke to a colleague just yesterday who we didn't even know was a a fit fan, um, and has been smashing that out for the past couple of months. Um, And And part part of that is being able to pat yourself on the back when the trainers in another room. Yeah, so I think that's part of it um i think like you said the importance of their recruitment of of uh, trainers is is really important because they're creating a culture through a screen you're not going to a physical space that you may enjoy being in high-fiving someone saying hello having a little chat after the session getting to know your trainer really well you're not doing any of those culture building things. You're not going for a pizza after. I mean, you wouldn't go for a pizza after with your trainer, but you know what I mean? Different type of gains. Different type of gains, yeah. Um, but they're doing that for a screen, yeah. but they're still creating a culture because some people will go to the same class with the same trainer every single week and feel like they have a relationship with that person, but it's happening yeah. via the screen. And also, I think that, and I know that you'd be super on board with this, this idea of that really, really kind of tight, brand production values that they feel a certain way means I can grow to understand the my expectations and the brand with one trainer and when I'm handed off to another there's still other stuff that feels familiar and safe enough that I can try out something that I wouldn't necessarily try out absolutely yeah and i think that's the third thing it's the range that they offer from the pilates class to the yoga to the weights stuff to the push and pull to the cardio to the hip like they've covered all bases with their trainers um you know which i think is is awesome um and yeah like you said even from having the production kind of consistency consistency but having it on site and having it where their offices are was super cool to to know because i wasn't quite sure how they went about that to be honest yeah um, but and and like there's a wicked deliberateness there because you could do it with like send out green screens to your trainers to do from their studios or their homes and or rent out spaces rent all out, over yeah. London and it wouldn't have that kind of like you get the sense you, you do get a sense that like there is a room outside that studio where one of them walks up, high fives the next one who goes in and and, and they are a team of trainers. Uh, absolutely. I think, I think one of the other key takeaways for me was when he spoke about kind of HR and, you know, because we say chief people officer, but <laughs> a lot of that is, is going to be HR related stuff, right? And HR may have a stereotype of maybe not being the funnest job in the world but a very important one but he being the policy one of being the policy one and he kind of said you know i don't subscribe to hr being that hr is what you want to make it within your company within within reason and so when you go into a new place and you are going to be uh in charge of hr or be a chief people officer like start with that blank piece of paper and go what does it look like for you know what spoke to me about that or rather how i how i see that coming about was that if it's possible to say it seems like he moved into hr for the love of it like 
Yeah. It wasn't his jam. It wasn't his training. It wasn't his background. The opportunity presented itself. And that's the bit of it that actually ended up feeling exciting. Um, because he did, you know, he comes across as a hugely passionate guy for human resources. Exactly. You know, and I think I think one of the main reasons that sparked my interest to, to speak to Ben was the culture book. Um and mm. I was just so glad that we could, you know, dive into that a little bit. And I hope that, you know, our audience do go and check that book out. Um, there's a lot of stuff in there that you go, yeah, I've seen that in other places and, and stuff like yeah. that. But, you know, um, you know, I'm not saying it's a, it's a kind of like silver bullet to, you know, all of your kind of uh, cultural problems within your workplace or potential cultural issues. However, but everything in together, there, everything in there, you want to be asking where is this written down for my group? Where is this written down for my company? Exactly. And I and I hope that our audience kind of take that away um, and do go and check that out. I'm, I'm hoping we can put it in. Yeah, we can put a link, link to it in the show notes because it's, 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 it's public. And it's, um, it's also really nice looking. Well, another thing, you know, you know me, Mark, I like things looking uh, pretty. Um, you know, I did have a, a bit of a background in, in sports marketing and when you are sending, you know, important clients out, you know, documents and things like that, things should look correct and they but should look like you've thought about them. Deliberateness. And deliberateness. Deliberateness and Fit have really nailed in on that. Everything yeah. looks superb. Everything is of really high quality. Um, you know, they, they, they have their own branded equipment as well, mm. which always goes like wildfire. You check the stock and the bottles have gone and the, and the yoga mats have gone and you, you're waiting for the restock. Um, so, yeah, they, they've nailed it in a lot of areas. But again, they are very new yeah. and there's a lot of growth there to come. Yeah. No, with that, just on that, that kind of the, the benefit and the value of high production values and deliberateness. It just, if it if it's clear it matters to someone, it starts to matter to you. Like if you look at a thing and go, that's really important. Like when people say, oh, I could listen to someone passionate and, and intelligent talk about their special subject forever, even if it was even if it was something I didn't know or care about. Like it's so clear that they have a plan with what they do with fit, whether it's the lighting of the studio knowing putting themselves in the studio or the layout of the culture book that it matters to them makes it start to matter to me and i think i got that from the trial play you know playing around with the fitness even if i personally uh found more benefit from getting trained by sean gallagher <laughs> well the dad bod plus 30 um fitness trainer space mate dad bod has, the app uh, is a has you know <laughs> or hopefully open up for me and uh, I'll be working for fit as the post 30 dad bod vibe uh, well yeah we hope you enjoyed this one and uh, uh, thanks always for tuning in and listening uh, we will keep posting while you keep listening thank you uh, also for sending us your messages on social media and your suggestions as well um, if you did want to suggest someone even yourself that you'd want us to talk to you can uh, hit us up on social media at noipodcast on twitter and instagram or our linkedin profiles are in the show notes you can do those as well we love having conversations on linkedin it's how we found ben and it's uh how we find a bunch of our guests these days or you can email us mark or sean at noipodcast.show uh, with that being said the only thing left is to say a goodbye from sean goodbye guys and goodbye from me goodbye you must be like the wolf pack teamwork yes